On today's episode, I chat with Elise Roberts about Black Mental Health Awareness Month, which is this July. Elise is a powerhouse producer for some of the biggest national news networks that you've ever heard of, definitely ones you're watching um, throughout the day and at night. And she and I talk about what this concept of being a strong Black woman means and how it can actually prohibit um, that entire community, the entire Black community from seeking out support and really paying attention to their mental health and getting help when needed. Elise, it's so great to have you with us today, especially since it just happens to be Black Mental Health Awareness Month. We were chatting a little bit before we started recording, and I think that you've got some really unique and um, awesome insights and perspectives as to what's been going on lately, the mental load that not only all people, but specifically um, Black people and Black women have been carrying around um, the last few years. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today to give us your insights. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's such a delicate topic, but one that I think we really need to talk about. Absolutely. So if you could just help our listeners understand a little bit of background for you. I love to kind of start off with the basics, right? Kind of who are you? Where do you live? What do you do? And and what kind of brought you to the point that you're at today? So I am from Atlanta, Georgia, a real life Georgia peach, born and raised. So I was born in Atlanta, raised in Marietta. Just love my city so much, but always aspire to be an on-air journalist, a news lady, if you will. Mm. And so that's what I did right out of college. And it required me to move. So for 15 years, I hopped from city to city, state to state by myself, starting over every two or three years. That has been my life up until 2017, when I landed a role back here in Atlanta Um, working for national news, came back and it was great to finally be back home with family and friends and get to go and eat in my mama's house for dinner and still go to work and not miss holidays and stuff so much. And so um, I came back in a management capacity, moved up a little bit and then decided I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) And that's where I am today. I feel like most women, you know, maybe that's the beauty of like, ages 30 through 50, you just figure out, you know, I don't want to do, there's certain things I just don't want to do anymore. And I'm at a place in my life where I have a little bit of money. I have some connections and you just have this epiphany that like, I don't have to do shit. I don't want to do anymore. I don't. And you know what? And it doesn't have to make sense to anybody, but me, that took me a long time to come to, um, because everybody had this idea of, who I was, who I should be. Oh, and every woman, especially every black woman in television news hears, you're the next Oprah. That is pressure. Could you imagine people left and right telling you you're the next Oprah? Right. Yeah, totally. So you kind of got caught up in the pressures of work and then decided to kind of pull the cord, take a step away, start your own business. But in between there was... We chatted a little bit before we started recording about a pivotal moment in your life where you realized that you really had to bring your mental health to the forefront. Can you take our listeners through that moment? You know, life can sometimes just be too much. And I was in my mid-30s. And so I had been doing this a a good while now, had moved several times, 
I th- think I heard that moving is like one of the most stressful totally. things. Totally. Right? <laughs> yes. So here I am every couple of years, I'm moving, I'm starting over, no friends, no family, no church, no doctors, no hair salon, none of the things that make me tick, I had access to. And so I'm doing this every couple of years. And I never really took a beat to say, okay, let me woosaw, this is this is what's happening in my life, because I thought this is what I'm supposed to do to move to the next level, to move up the ranks. I just have to do it. This is what all people on TV do. Um, and part of that is true. But I wasn't taking care of myself, my mind, my body. I wasn't decompressing. I was just going along to get along. So I managed to get some time off to hang out with family in LA, and we're having a blast, headed to the beach, And we're in this little taxi, this little Prius, and the guy is driving like a damn lunatic. Mm. And I'm in the back seat, and it got smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. And I'm like, what is happening? I'm feeling weird. I need to get out of this car. And I said it out loud, and he's like, are you going to be sick? Are you going to be sick? And I'm like, no, no, no. I just, you got to stop. You got to pull over. So I get out and there's four of us total. And one of my aunts was in the front and she gets out and she's like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, my heart's beating fast. He's driving like an ass Mm -hmm. and I can't breathe. And she was like, maybe you should sit in the front. There's a little bit more room in the front. And I'm like, okay. So I get back in the car and he takes off again. And he's nervous because he thinks sick. I'm going to ruin his cab. And it wasn't that kind of sick. I just felt different. I felt weird. My heart was beating really fast. And he jumps on the interstate. And I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. not going to work. I got to get out. I got to get out, you guys. I'm sorry. I got to get out. And he's like, well, this isn't the best part of the, the neighborhood. I was like, I don't give a damn. I got to get out. And so I couldn't even remember where he led us. He jumped off at the next exit. There was a little um, Mexican restaurant. He parked in the parking lot. And the four of us got out. And I was having a heart attack in my mind. I was losing it. Luckily, one of my aunts recognized immediately what was happening. And she's like, you're having a panic attack. And I was like, but I can't breathe. I can't, I can't, I don't know what was going on in that car. And it kept getting tighter and tighter. And, you know, fast forward, a lot of melatonin and prayer got me home from California two days later. And I went to see a therapist. And I remember having a conversation saying, the therapist telling me it's stress. All it is is stress. And I'm like, but I was having fun. I'm enjoying life. I'm, I'm doing well. And he said, you've probably been compressing this for years and years and years. And I started thinking about childhood trauma. I started thinking about the moves every couple of years. I started thinking about a a big public breakup. I started thinking about all those things that I just brushed off my shoulders and kept it moving that I never dealt with. And it decided on that hot LA day that it was going to show up and make me deal with it. And I think, I think that that is, you know, it's so poignant, right? Like the timing of it, when it happened, Mm -hmm. it wasn't in like a traditional high pressure, high stress moment. It was probably almost when your brain was like, okay, we can relax a little bit now. And then sometimes when that happens, that's the flood, the floodgates open, right? And all of this stuff is like, yep, this is our shot. And it just rushes. And then all of a sudden it's overwhelming. 
Spot on. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. I think too, I would love to get your insights on this, Elise, but I think as women, that whole, you know, keep it moving. I mean, it's even all over social media and shit now too. It's like, it's this pressure to just, Mm -hmm. you know, keep it moving. And, you know, I've heard insights too. I I love the book Hood Feminism and it was an amazing audible listen. I highly recommend it. But the author talks about this concept of the strong black woman. And she's like, I don't like that. I don't want to have to be a strong black woman. I want to be supported. And so I would love to get your thoughts on that too. If you feel like this, this whole kind of like image or label that is put on black women can contribute to this eventual buildup of pressure and stress that can come out in a physical manifestation? You know, I feel like I was a day late and a dollar short in learning that, um, that I don't want to always be strong. You know, I don't want to be the strong friend. I want to be supported. It took me so long to realize that supported in my friendships, in, in my family, in my relationship, because For so long, I was the single girl with no children. And so I could take on all the things and everybody's stuff. And so people would call and unload because I'm a fixer. And I would take that on. And I still sometimes have to remind myself, this is not my thing. I cannot take that on. I do not have the bandwidth. But we are taught. And when I say taught, I mean, no one sat down and had a conversation with me to be strong but it's what I saw. My mom was a single mom. My mom did all the things. She didn't have time to sit and cry and weep or ask for help or ask, call someone to fix it or had the resources to do so. She had to figure it out. And so I learned in that way that I have to figure it out. But now I understand that I can expect more from the people in my life in a way that supports me in the same way that I support them. I don't have to always be strong. And I'm okay in saying that now. It wasn't always a popular thing to say that I'm having a moment and I I need some help in this. I need some support. Or I I hear what you're saying, but I really don't have the bandwidth to, to deal with that right now. Yeah. And that you deserve it. I mean, I think a big piece of this too, at least when I work with clients, there's the awareness that they're fixers, that they're people pleasers. And a lot of time that comes from childhood trauma, right? I I was raised by a single mom as well. And I was kind of what you call a latchkey kid. I don't know about you, but like got home from school by myself, you know, all that. And so you have to take care of yourself. And then when you weren't taken care of as a child to the level you needed, you then become an adult who only takes care of others right? So it can kind of be this really deeply ingrained conditioned response. And it's to fix other people versus, you know, getting, getting ourselves straight to begin with. But I do feel like there are some cultural differences as well. I think that it's absolutely more accepted for white women to be more vulnerable or weak or, you know, need a big strong man or somebody to come help us. I don't, that's never been the narrative that I've at least from my perspective that I've seen for black women, it is this strong, figure it out, keep it going. Like so many of the things that you said, like that is the image impressed upon. Even for the women who are in strong or or seemingly strong marriages, they are still the person who has to figure out all the things. They are the first point of reference and it shouldn't be that way. And I think it's it starts with me. It starts with my generation. It starts with changing this narrative 
of, of not feeling supported and not being able to speak up and say, I need that support and creating these healthy relationships that we have for ourselves, that our children then see and expect in their relationships. And so it starts now. And what we have to do is talk about it. We have to talk about it. And sometimes these conversations are uncomfortable because a lot of times in the Black community, we are told to pray about it. You pray about it. And listen, God is the first person I talk to every single day. But I also believe that I've been blessed with an arsenal of resources that can help me. And so that's why I have a therapist who I check in with. You know, sometimes it's every other week. Sometimes it's quarterly, depending on what's happening in my life. Um, And, you know, the person who told me that I needed a therapist was a good white girlfriend who said, do you have a therapist? And she broke it down in a way that I now break it down to people. She said, do you have a dentist? And I said, of course I have a dentist. What do you mean? And she said, well, do you go to the dentist only when your tooth hurts? And I'm like, no, I go for, you know, my regular checkups. She was like, so why don't you have someone checking on your mental health? Because it wasn't something that was outwardly talked about probably when you were growing up. No. Nobody in my family had a therapist. We went to church on Sunday and we prayed about it. And we we went to, you know, look at scripture and learn scripture and, and you prayed about it. Now I do that in conjunction with therapy because I now have tools to help me get through certain things. But there's also self-advocacy, right, Elise? Like, I think, you know, the whole thing of like, just go pray about it. Like, I'm with you. I think our thoughts create reality. I think you absolutely, you know, I call them like my angel guides. I talk to my angel guides all the time. And I ask for signs and all of these things. I feel in communication with them at all times. But at some point, when a certain community is, you know, being guided to just pray about it, to me, that's also like, just keep quiet. Don't make a fuss suck it up, figure it out on your own. It feels very dismissive. This is just what we have to deal with as a people. We just have to have these conversations with our young black boys. We just have to work extra hard to get noticed. We just have to expect to be passed over for certain roles. We just have to expect to be considered angry because we're just as vocal as the 45-year-old white man sitting next to us. We sound the same, but I'm labeled angry and he's labeled assertive. We are told to just suck it up because that's what society expects of us. And that's how society treats Black people. And I'm here to say that I'm not going to be the one to just suck it up. And we need more people to stop sucking it up. You know, like, I, I think that's one part. There's the advocacy part. And then there's the there really is getting mental health support. I think there have been some people who've started to emerge. I love Charlemagne the God's mission yep. about talking about yep. mental health. I think that uh, you you mentioned it, you know, um, if you think Black men coming forward and speaking on it as well as high visibility Black women really almost giving permission, right? And then urging it makes it easier for all of us to talk. So so now, you know, I think more people are talking about it. And if it feels trendy or, or whatever the case may be, so be it. If that gets more people to talk about it, I love the fact that Charlemagne wrote a book and it talks about it regularly. I love that Taraji has come out mm. and has her different initiatives um, and putting mental health at the forefront. Hell, Kim Kardashian even talks about it. Yeah. And so I think that 
having these high profile people say, yeah, I struggle with certain things brings it to the forefront. I saw some figure that said like 5 million um, people in the black community deal with some sort of mental health disorder, whether it be anxiety or, or depression or schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to wonder how many people are getting specialized help for that and right. how many people are keeping quiet because they're embarrassed yeah. or shamed. Well, there's um, shame. And then there's the- also access, right, Elise? It's like, I think, you know, who has, another thing. right. Who is just naturally going to be afforded access to help. And I mean, the number that you just gave, no doubt is probably pretty accurate, but shit, over the last two years, if I'm still traumatized by what happened to George Floyd, I can't imagine. It's got to be the tiniest fraction of how the community feels having witnessed that. Every week, there is just another person who is you know, gunned down, murdered, dismissed, thrown away from the Black community. And so I wanted to get your insight too. I mean, we know that you had, your panic attack was 2017, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you've, you've found some resources, you've been outspoken about it, all good. But over the last, God, I mean, even the last few months, the last year, it just feels like it's been a pressure cooker for everybody in general, but I would love to get your insights too on community specific. You know, if you're feeling like the burden and the weight is just cumulative, or if it's to the point where it's sadly really always kind of been the norm. It's in the norm. And I hate that. I hate that. Um, I don't know if, if it's, I, I know it's a combination of it just happening every day, And then me working in news and not being able to share my feelings or emotions, I've learned to suppress things and become desensitized to it, which is just not healthy. In my last role, I would remember people just working around the clock on these these stories and me actively telling people, I need you to take a break. I need you to take a break. Everyone, not just black people, everyone. I need you to take a break because it's not good for anyone to ingest this kind of information nonstop. And a lot of times we were seeing the pictures before they hit air, pictures that had to be edited or covered. And that's just a lot for anyone to take on. Imagine seeing that kind of stuff for two No, I can't. I mean, I can't. My little brain cannot... It cannot handle that. And that's what is so- the first thing you hear is when you're you're dealing with all this stuff, you hear step away from the news. Well, shit, what if you are the news? Right, right. <laughs> I what? mean, we're chatting about some other, you know, acquaintances and friends I have that are in this industry. And mm-hmm. I have to just text them and check in. Like, how are you mm-hmm. doing? Because you're producing this stuff. And I can't mm-hmm. imagine, to your point, just the barrage of unfiltered hate, you know, that you see. Um, on a daily basis. And that no doubt, right, had to play a role in your brain getting to the point where it thought it was dying. Seriously, I remember getting in the shower early last year. And I, I, you know, you read it in books, you see it in movies about people just screaming in the shower. Mm. And I had one of those moments and it felt so good. But I just needed to release 
And sadly, I can't even remember the story that did it. It was one of these types of stories of some Black person being shot. Brianna Taylor hit me really, Oof. really hard. Yes. Really hard. Mm-hmm. She looked like she could be in my family. I, I totally, there is a total resemblance. Yeah. I think about her often. It just, you know, my sister works in the medical field. There was so many things that just, it just didn't make sense. And now we just don't talk about it anymore. Right. Because there've been so many other shootings since this case. Yeah. My little girl who's 10 and a total empath, you know, (sighs) we live in a very white community in Southern California and we had signs out, you know, for Brianna. And she said, when are we going back out to another Black Lives Matter or Brianna Taylor march? And I just looked at her and I go, well, sweetie, you know, we can always go out, but we're not really having any of those right now. And Elise, she was scanning my face like, what do you mean? Like, is it's not, it's not fixed. You know, her 10 year old brain understood, but you, it was like a, what the fuck? Like, wait, we're just not, we're just moving on. And unfortunately there have been so many cases since then that deserve and need attention as well. We would have a whole news network that was just covering that stuff. If um, yeah. If it was, you know, possible. So I feel you on that. I have empathy for for you, the entire community, but I also am just in awe of the strength, right? Of like what's been accomplished and the hurdles that have been cleared and the climbs that have been made throughout this. Because I think for most people, if it was consistent, like it's been, you know, since the dawn of time for your mm-hmm. community. We would have crumbled a long time ago. A long time ago. Hell, I even think back to that time when I was in, um, and I think it, it was a little bit before, it was 2015, actually. Um, I didn't realize it's been that long since I had this panic attack, but it happened when I was in LA during the Charleston 9 shooting. Oh. <laughs> and we were talking about that, and yeah. I was checking in with work, and... I just remember, it's just like, damn, I can't even nope. unwind. Right. Yeah, it is. Well, so I think that, you know, you speaking today is great. What tips would you give for anybody listening who feels like maybe it's, they're at risk for, um, you know, some mental health issues or they're feeling the weight of the world, which I, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all must be. What were some of the things that you did? So did you initially just talk with friends about it and then started no. to receive what they were saying? No, 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 no. I didn't talk to anybody because I thought I was going crazy. Mm. And so I was very quiet about it at first because I did not understand it. Um, you know, the family, the the four family members where I was was with, they checked in here and there, but I didn't want to talk about it. So I started gathering information because I didn't understand. And a lot of the stigma I think comes from a lack of knowledge. Hmm. And the best way to fight that is by educating ourselves and talking to people. And so I would encourage people to do that. I would um, also encourage people to be be open to that information. You know, that's the only way for us to dismantle the stigma that we have in our community. And then you need to speak up about it. You know, um, we equate this strength with keeping quiet and that's not the way to go. People who deal with whatever mental illness they may have, um, it doesn't mean you're less than, it doesn't limit your ability. 
You know, I think that the, the more I talked about, you know, I had one, I had one panic attack in 2015. And once I started talking about this to people, I promise you, everybody could relate. Oh, I dealt with that. Or my mom dealt, has panic attacks or it, it was, it was so common. And I'm like, even my grandmother and my mother. But it's no like, well, why talking is nobody about, talking about this? <laughs> no one's talking about this. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, this is nuts. So speak up, speak up. I think, you know, we are more alike than we are different. Um, and then, you know, and I can't speak to obviously some of the, the other mental um, health issues a lot of people may deal with, but I will say when people tell you they're dealing with something, don't minimize it, believe yeah. them, hear them out. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said I'm feeling a little anxious and someone told me to just calm down. Well, if I could calm down. It better not have been a man. Because um, <laughs> he probably it got was. his head ripped off. It was a man. Of it course. was a man. Yeah. I'm trying to, to, you know, suppress it, you know, like believe people when they, they say, ask them, you know, ask, what do, how can I help? What do you need from me? Don't tell me to calm down. I think having the voice is you're, you're 100% right, Elise, having the voice on it and speaking on it and sharing and being vulnerable is the only way that we're going to be able to slowly destigmatize it. I think, I think too, you know, this last couple of weeks, you know, have just been torture. I feel like with all these shootings and everything, and it's to the point where I find myself probably once a day, usually in the evenings, you know, the tears start flowing. And for a while I was like, okay, we need to like lock it up. You know what I mean? Well, cause I'm a coach too. And it's like, how am I supposed to be helping other people if I feel totally underwater at some points, right? Just with these waves of emotions. And so I've just said, well, I'm just going to let it, I'm just going to cry as long as I need to cry. And that does trigger endorphins for everybody listening. So just let it out. And I feel let better after, but what I yeah. don't want to do is bury these emotions, it's like a, it's like your house. If you don't pick up after it, those emotions will accumulate in your body. They will find probably a really inopportune time like yours did yep. to come out. So we got to clean it up. We got to like, and to do that, we have to sit in these emotions. We have to feel them and we have to talk to somebody. We have to feel them. There's so many times that I was on a story that I was scared. I should have told somebody I'm scared to be out here by myself. I didn't feel safe. Or I don't know anyone in this town. Or Hurricane Katrina hit this town two weeks ago. I can't find my way around and I'm, I'm, I'm sad about it. I can't do my best job. There were so many opportunities for me to ex simply express to somebody how I was feeling. But instead, I didn't. I, I, I was strong, if you will. I had to suck it up to, to get by. And there's so many other roads to take. Right. And you speaking on it today, I think can no doubt help listeners. I so appreciate your time. I appreciate your vulnerability, your authenticity. Um, and I think the more that we have shows like this, the more we bring it up, even when you know it feels like an inopportune time, maybe with family members, maybe it's older generations where it's not as acceptable. I think that testimony and the voice that you're giving to it is no doubt going to help make some changes. So thank you so much for sharing today, Elise. I've really thoroughly enjoyed our talk. 
Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you um, and the work that you're doing and the conversations um, that you continue to have. It's so needed.